0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A Mic on the Podium with me Michael Seal. Today I will be conducting a conversation with a Dutch conductor who has held numerous posts as a music director all across Europe. He is currently principal guest conductor of both the Prague Symphony Orchestra and the Ulster Orchestra in Belfast. He is very committed to teaching, having been a professor at the Royal Conservatory in The Hague since 1992 and also loves working with youth and student orchestras. It is a great pleasure to welcome Jack Van So, welcome, Jack. How wonderful to talk to you. Wonderful to talk to you, Mike. Good morning. Good morning to you. Um, I wonder whether we could start with your very, very earliest musical experiences.
1: My very, very early musical experiences. I think uh, coming uh, back to sort of my sixth or seventh year where I was pretty much the tallest of my class in primary school and I remember I lost it otherwise I would have used it now after sort of 56 years to use it as my main photo in all biographies and program books because it is a photograph of me conducting with a pencil I mean ha, ha. who does who does a pencil nowadays we know a few yes that's true yeah or a toothpick <laughs> yeah yeah or a toothpick or a small pencil well I had a pretty large pencil given to me by the headmistress and it was in front of Santa Claus conducting a bunch of 12 13 14 kids I can't remember what it was but that was my first musical um, conducting. That, that was the first time. But uh, to be serious, um, my parents met after the Second World War. And funnily enough, they were very keen on German Schlagers. The, they were... Schlagers are hit records, aren't they, in Germany? Yeah, yeah. But then in German language, mind you. And it was all, you know, from south of Germany in the mountains till... Uh, very, very easy going love songs, easy going, silly, uh, funny things. And at those times, you know, the, the three minute thing, like nowadays the Zap service, was already there in the Schlagers. And that was my first sort of biotope where I, where I was completely overwhelmed with that music and a bit of operetta. And I remember that as an issue because um, I hate it now. And I I never touched down on on Operetta or Schlager's uh, my whole life. Uh, But on the other hand, it it gave me a lot of flexibility in, you know, I played Bach on the piano, which was completely uh, awful for my parents, but they they supported uh, their only child. And um, I played the serious stuff. And during the day, uh, out of the loudspeaker of the radio, uh, the Schlagers came. That is is a big contrast. but That was my first start of the music. So was your first instrument the piano? Yeah. I I started uh, out of that Schlager tradition playing the accordion very well uh, as a young boy and invited to play on, on, you know, parties, weddings, uh, a bit like... like, uh, an element of oh, he, he is the musician in the family and um, the the father of my mother was a conductor uh, for chorus and harmony and, and brass bands and I, I was supposed to sort of step in that tradition but on a very 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 low level for everybody just making party music <laughs> and uh, yeah that was It it was a special thing to to become flexible and to respect other types and genres of music that I would never play myself. And then I started to play the organ in church. And that was was the biggest uh, contrast with the Schlager music uh, playing all the, uh, in this case in the south of Holland, Catholic masses and um, in that time we were allowed to play Mozart and we were allowed to play all the music and especially a lot of Bach. And I intended to go to play the organ and do some auditions for college. That was the first step before conducting. So whilst
0: you were playing the organ at church, is this where you first encountered choirs and possibly your first encounters
1: conducting? Uh, Choirs, yes. Conducting, not yet. As I was simply, I could sight read enormously well. So I was simply um, living a bit in a a, a space psychic uh, situation because um, what I can tell you now is that I was very 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 a saint in the weekend and uh, played the organ Um, but after uh, mass uh, I went to a very 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 heavy 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 rock band and played um, uh, the organ there and that contrast uh, can't be bigger Um, But it was never about conducting in church because we had some very good choral conductors and I was just playing the organ. And in the evenings I I played in cafes and and jazz clubs um, till my 17th, I think, 17th, 18th year. I did that combination of the two completely separate worlds. Separate worlds, yes, but it's
0: still, it's music. And and obviously music was a very big part of your
1: growing up, whether it be secular or sacred it was everything because obviously uh, especially the last uh, thing the 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 pop band the rock band took a took up a lot of time and i just made it uh, in secondary school when i was 18 to finish my exams okay it was nothing like the, the utmost a level but it was it was very good but not not top of the bill to study something else because i knew i want to go to music and i played a lot and playing uh, in churches and playing in a rock band took up all my time instead of studying uh, maths and and greek and and latin
0: so after school and your time uh, playing in church and the rock and pop band
1: did you go to university um, in Holland, the system is that you directly audition for the conservatory, and I went to the nearest. And then I intended, as everybody advised me, not to go for piano and organ because it wouldn't uh, bring a living. It wouldn't sort of you wouldn't earn too much. And in, in after the Second World War, it was very important to get a job. They advised me to go for being a teacher, a music teacher. And that was immediately uh, after my exams in secondary school, I, I could go to the conservatory, uh, the conservatoire in Brabant in the south. And there I started for about six, seven months to study, as we call it, school music. That's everything for primary schools and secondary schools and discovered pretty soon that what I thought would be useful is sitting behind the piano and talking about uh, composers Bach and Wagner and Bruckner and whatever Mahler, and Shostakovich in that time was already very popular. Um, Instead of that, um, I got to learn how to keep uh, a classroom quiet which I thought I could do anyway, because you talked about your enthusiasm for music and... and, then I, I thought, no, this is not the thing. I thought it would be more uh, of a wider spread uh, experience for myself. But it was very about uh, education and uh, didactical issues, which I didn't think at that time, being still a bit of a rock star, <laughs> not, not really. No, I, I had a pretty strong opinion that this was not the right thing to do. I mean, my teachers in, in secondary school were really doing that. They were fantastic musicians chorus masters uh, they had an orchestra in school conducting very badly but they did it and they were so enthusiastic about music and that made me uh, enthusiastic about music as well and not the fact that i know how to teach a kid what is the difference between a fifth and a fourth do
0: you think at any stage in your conducting career you've you've used any of those skills on how to keep a classroom quiet with an orchestra
1: well, the, the the thing is that either you have a natural um, sort of uh, body language in front of a group, it can be a classroom, it can be an orchestra, it can be a chorus, or it can be even a team of uh, big egos in a football club. I mean, I don't think that is very different. But if you show that you have a natural sort of uh, oversight on that uh, group of, of people then it is not so difficult to uh, accept that you can lead them somewhere and not because you are a dictator and you want to show only your opinion but you want to do something together with them and that's not different in in my was in that time not different in the classroom or an orchestra or a chorus so the step from bigger groups towards the studying of orchestral conducting was not too big for me.
0: How long into your studies, into being a music teacher, did conducting really start to take over as something you thought, you know what, this is what I want to do?
1: Yeah, very early, in the first year, um, as I told before, I didn't believe in the system of school music and teaching. Um, I met uh, now a dear friend, and and then, uh, you know, you go, I don't know how it is in England, but you go to a cafe, you go to a pub where you are young, and you drink, and you have a chat. And then someone told me, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm studying school music. And he said, well, I'm studying orchestral conducting. And I had no clue where he was talking about. And we had another drink. And in the end of the evening, he said, well, I have a lesson tomorrow. Why don't you join me? And to cut a a very long story short, uh, he left school. He was a fantastic guitar player. Uh, Left school to become a puppeteer. And in that same year, and I took over the one position, his position, as he was the only student of my teacher. And in the 70s, it was absolutely possible, which is not nowadays anymore, not so easy at least, I could study three studies parallel. So my teacher tried to stop, said, you know, you don't conduct, you never will make it. You will be absolutely not up to it. It's far too hard, far too demanding. It is such a dangerous uh, uh, study to step in to earn a living and you have to do something else. So I advise you, uh, if you want to come and study with me, then start studying theory of music, which I did. And then, uh, as choral conducting was so close to orchestral conducting for me, coming out of that, what you just mentioned before, the the organ music, and it was not about conducting uh, church music, but it was sort of knowing that music, that I was enabled to do a third uh, major subject, which was choral conducting. And my three teachers knew each other very well. And they were all very helpful to, especially the second, the Choral one and the Theory of Music one, to support my studies um, in into the direction of orchestral conducting. So... If I did choral pieces, I, didn't, I, I studied Josquin Depré and, and Palestrina and whatever. But my main topics were uh, works for chorus and orchestra, like uh, Symphony of Psalms or the Stravinsky's Mass or a Mozart or a Haydn Mass. And my theory subject was the orchestration of Mozart in his operas. And all those, those elements of the studies focused on that one study and, and it took me seven years in the end to finish the three studies. At the same time, I did final exams in one week. But it was so easy to do it in one week because the choral subject was bound to, to go to the orchestral side. And the theory of music was supporting my orchestral studies. So it was for me just one study with three fantastic masters to learn from. And during
0: your orchestral or choral studying, were you taught stick technique at all? Or was it mainly about form and architecture and absorbing and learning a score?
1: Both. It was an ideal, if I come to think of it now, it was an ideal combination of my orchestral teacher uh, being the musician, being a teacher, a conductor, uh, conducted every week. He had an orchestra in Holland in the south, in Maastricht. He was doing some touring, not much. Um, That is an aspect that changes a lot nowadays. But in uh, the middle of the, and before that, middle of the last century until about 1990, it was absolutely uh, uh, very important that the chief conductor of an orchestra was there sort of 30 weeks a year. And he formed the orchestra and he worked with the orchestra. I know there are aspects of that element that are not so beneficial for both sides. But nowadays, having a chief conductor who comes in for six weeks and you don't see him the rest of the season is the opposite, is the polar uh, um, opposite of that idea. So my teacher was a practical conductor for orchestras. Um, a big musician learned me a lot of the repertoire till 1950s because after that he thought music was completely a waste of space. <laughs> <laughs> Which was interesting because he he, he knew every, he was a Francophile. He was brought up with French language and he was a friend of Poulenc and, and he brought me up in the terms of learning to appreciate Ravel's orchestration and Debussy was a hero. But the Coral Conductor was the one who sent us home with exercises. And the exercise was coming to think of it. Step on your bike um, with your legs beat two, with your left hand on the steering wheel beat three, and five with your right hand. He was the technician. He could teach us how to be completely technically independent left and right. And... From that technique, I still benefit. Although you never, in front of an orchestra, as you know, you are a conductor yourself. Um, if you conduct Petrushka and Stravinsky writes a septola over a bar, you don't give left seven and right three and whatever. Uh, you have the technique to do it, but you don't, you, the orchestra wouldn't even watch you, and they, they would be completely confused if they would. But it is good for the body to be completely schizophrenic and know how to deal with different rhythms, although you don't conduct them. But mm-hmm. I learned that uh, by by uh, working with that choral conductor.
0: I, I'm trying to get my head around you cycling home, conducting two different tempos in two different arms whilst your legs are pumping away in two in a bar. I, th- I find that
1: fascinating. <laughs> I
0: wish... I wish we had video of
1: it. (laughs) The first thing you have to accept is that Holland is completely flattened out, so you don't have anything else than just one path for kilometres. And the other thing is you have to learn first how to cycle without using your hands on the steering wheel. So it is possible to do uh, uh, two in a bar with your legs, three with your left arm and five with your right arm. It is possible. I, 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 I challenge you to try it.
0: Can you tell us how you transitioned from university and started working as a professional conductor?
1: Yeah, Uh, I was lucky, as I mentioned before, my orchestral teacher was a very busy man. And I was lucky to rehearse uh, every week, two times a week, most of the weeks, when he couldn't come to the conservatoire, as he didn't live in the same city. And he came one week at the end of a term and started to work for himself, what I prepared for him. And um, I got concerts because sometimes he couldn't do it or he gave me an overture or my exam was with the school orchestra. In that time, it was already like, I I sort of automate my students now, Uh, it was already on Vogue to organize uh, bigger ensembles. And Holland was in that time very famous, for ensembles of about 16, 17 musicians, a bit the London Sinfonietta model. Uh, we copied that, and I had an, an ensemble of 16, 17 colleagues, friends in school, and we played all these, the chamber music for bigger uh, ensemble that had to be conducted. And that was my first uh, sort of concert life um, already during my studies because bigger orchestras were not waiting for us. But you could profile yourself by doing concerts in smaller venues and uh, playing, uh, you know, Group uh, de the Britain stuff, the the Nonettos, the Dickstettos, all those, the, the Mozart serenades. That's what, what we did. And a lot of new compositions. After that, I got the uh, opportunity to become assistant conductor of the National Youth Orchestra. And in that time, uh, the National Youth Orchestra chief conductor was Adam Gatehouse. Um, I think he's retired now, but he was the last 10, 15 years responsible for the New Generation Artists uh, uh, BBC scheme. Um, a very very good musician and a very good organizer and he made our Dutch National uh, Youth Orchestra um, I think at the same level as nowadays the British uh, National Youth Orchestra. So. He invited me to become his uh, assistant, and part of the deal was that I got one concert. Uh, instead of him conducting, I got the Rite of Spring and Debussy Prelude à la Première du Neufon in sort of an afternoon concert. And at that concert was the director of the orchestra in Arnhem, um, Hans Hirig is his name, he's, he's, he's a famous character in Holland. He gave me the first concert with his orchestra uh, being a concert that, that I took on as it was a carnival concert. It was the sort of going back to uh, entertainment. It was nothing posh. It was nothing big. It was just the right thing to learn from. I got his orchestra for two days and did a did a silly light poppy music. And um, after that, Holland is very small and my career went off because every orchestra uh, heard about that. And then I went to the orchestra in the south. I went to Maastricht, I went to Amsterdam, I went, etc. So there were in those days about 15 orchestras in Holland. Um, and I'm still grateful for that man, for Hans, because he gave me the first opportunity. And since then... I got uh, to conduct the orchestras, except the Concertgebouw conducted all the orchestras in Holland in that time. Don't you think that those early
0: concerts, the ones, as you said, the poppy, lighter concerts, don't you think they're some of the hardest concerts you ever have to conduct when you, rather than just doing an overture, a concerto and a symphony, you end up conducting 14 little pieces of music, all in different styles, all in different tempos, all with their separate problems, corners to navigate don't you think they're the hardest things you ever get to conduct and weirdly you get them at the start
1: of your career yeah yeah you're true you 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 have that experience yourself because you are very good at at the complexity of different styles and different settings and different orchestrations i i think i agree although after that um at a certain moment uh, like conducting a ballet which is also very hard to do it really well um, I don't know exactly if that is a European thing, but it is considered as not so important to conduct the lighter stuff and it is considered not to, to be so uh, 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 highbrow, high-level, if you conduct a, a, a Sleeping Beauty by Tchaikovsky in a ballet performance. But I'm convinced, as you say, that those elements of our conducting are sometimes far more difficult to organise and to structure and to make it work um, than doing one sort of one half hour symphony which is not easy at all but a, a Mahler symphony is a different thing um, but I agree that you get them in the beginning of your career um, and to be honest uh, the most difficult thing I've in that time I've ever conducted um, was music in a program by Gerald Hoffnung my students, I spoke to them last week uh, about Gerald Hoffnung as a cartoonist and everybody knows the famous cartoon where the cor sort of uh, gives birth to an egg uh, coming out of the of the uh, instrument and uh, there are about 150 cartoons but what people don't know is that he uh, organized a concerto for conductor, um, a famous composer François Chagrin which is the most fantastic name for a composer, I think it is a pseudonym for some some silly man working at radio uh, uh, in in england and in that concerto, you had to learn uh, choreography and do things that you are not allowed that i wouldn 't teach my 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 kids when they they come in class, for example, there was um, an, an act that you had to pretend there was a fly around your baton and you start beating with your left hand to try to get rid of that uh, fly, uh, that insect. And the orchestra obviously had to react on that. And... uh If if I come to think, I never forget the moment that he writes, Hoffnung writes, now you go to the harp and uh, he or she, I hope it is she he wrote in the score with long blonde hair, (laughs) plays a beautiful cadenza and you go on your knees, you keep conducting the orchestra as an accompaniment, you go on your knees and you um, give her... Uh, your your love and you show that you fall in love with her which is a thing that might happen in real life as well. <laughs> and so I studied that and I prepared it in my room and I had a, a friend of the ballet company to help me, to assist me and he choreographed me. And then I came in front of that orchestra and I looked at uh, stage right and I saw the harp and it was not a blonde girl, uh, it was um, a young lady almost retired completely non-communicative and I had to go in the in the rehearsal already to go to that woman of 64 years young and uh, there I was falling in love with the 64 and I was 28 or something <laughs> So from that moment on, I had all the credits from the orchestra to do whatever I wanted because they thought, man, if you can do that to fall in love with a 64 year old woman, then, um, then you are a genius. So those things you had to do. And it's, it's not prostitution of your profession, but you just have an experience. <laughs>
0: So uh, at this stage, you're now guest conducting all round Holland. At what stage are you thinking to yourself, I would quite like to be a music director somewhere? Was it a thought that you had, or were you just happy guest conducting and seeing where it all took
1: you? Well, the awareness of a chief position uh, wasn't necessary, as I got the opportunity to do an audition, and I didn't know the impact of the job at all, to do an audition for the Dutch National Opera. They appointed uh, Hartmut Heenchen and Hartmut Heenchen coming from East Germany, and though it, it was such a difficult situation for him to get out of that country, and um, in 89 the wall came down and there he was, Hartmut Heentchen, a very, very good conductor, uh, especially in opera work and in Mahler and in Haydn. He had an orchestra specialist in Haydn and Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach. So he, he was the chief conductor and he needed on the German way an assistant, uh, meaning uh, I say on the German way, in the German way because he needed a pianist as well. So we went with three young Dutch conductors and I was the only pianist. There was a cellist, a clarinet player and myself. And Hartmut was there and he didn't take one of us because he thought we were not good enough uh, as a pianist. And um, at that very moment, the position with the National Ballet uh, where Adam Gatehouse was uh, chief conductor, Adam Gatehouse, remember, National Youth Orchestra. Mm, Yes. So he said... Are you interested in taking over my job? And as I got the no from uh, Hartmut, and and we became very good colleagues afterwards, obviously, um, but having his no, that opened a complete new world for me as I got the job as as principal conductor for the Dutch National Ballet. So the, the way of thinking about a chief position never came up uh, uh, to me because it, it was a natural thing to get a job anyway. And um, it, in in the 90s, it was not so much about, uh, oh, I, I want that position. I, I just wanted to make music, which was going fine. From that moment on, uh, as Hartmut came to Holland, he was looking for an agency and he was uh, connected to my now agent. Uh, Marianne Hertzberger, and she took up Hartmut in her big sort of stable of conductors and musicians. And Hartmut, he said no to me, but Marianne said, well, I hear things uh, about you. Um, Shall we work together? And from that moment on, which is now about 30 odd years, um, I have one manager already my whole life. From that moment on, she looked after me and I started with the Dutch National Ballet. So during your career, you've been music director
0: or principal guest conductor with many symphony orchestras. Um, But also you've done quite a lot of opera and ballet. What do you think um, the biggest differences are between running an opera house and running a symphony orchestra as music director?
1: Well, I was uh, the lucky one to get a position in a German opera house. And uh, you can't see my face now. Uh, because Lucky One is uh, is not quite covering uh, what I meant, it is the opposite. In a German situation, if you are like myself, uh, if you are appointed as General Music Director, your partner in contract is uh, the mayor of the town, in this case um, Weimar, and later in Dortmund. So that means that you are responsible as a general music director for the musical world within that city or within that town. And that means that your idea of a chief position of making 75% um, music and learning the operas and doing uh, work in the Opera House about music and 25% is about bureaucracy, Um, reality taught me that uh, after one year in Weimar, I discovered it is the other way around. You are uh, making music 25%, 30%, and 75%, uh, 70% you are dealing with meetings uh, with the politicians, meetings with the board, meetings with the union, meetings at receptions. So that was a bit of, um, of a change in my attitude as you worked about 16 hours in the opera house. Uh, you did a morning rehearsal with the orchestra, then went into meetings, 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 and then you mainly did a, either a rehearsal or a performance in the evening, and that for six days. That is the normal life of a general music director. In concert life, if if you compare that, um, the whole complexity of an opera house. I mean, don't forget, we had about 400 people on the payroll in Dortmund. Um, and also starting with the concierge, when you came in, um, then the technicians, then the light department, then the set uh, designers, then the ballet company, then the chorus, then etc. And everybody has a responsible boss uh, above them. And you are above those six, seven uh, directors of the different parts of the opera house. Now, that is an issue that you have to learn to deal with. And in concert life, you uh, completely can leave out the fact that you have five or six little kings kingdoms in the house because you focus on the concert of course nowadays you have a big marketing department and you need a financial department and you need a health and safety department But the complexity of an opera house makes that your real conducting life is limited if you want to do it right. So I was completely uh, uh, worn out after six years in an opera house as it is such hard work not conducting, which is not where we were brought up with. I'm, I'm, I'm a musician and I'm not a financial expert. Wow, that's been a real
0: eye opener for me. That it takes such an awful lot of time doing the non-musical things. I, 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 I was aware that there was an element of that, but not to that degree.
1: That's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I. The German system is fantastic for opera, but the amount of responsibility you have to take, and you have to be representative for the music part of that city. So. Um, it, it, it's it's very interesting, and I think uh, I'm not a good uh, game day uh, general music director in that terms. I can make music, I can let it sound well, uh, but uh, if I see my colleagues and friends uh, still surviving in Germany. Um they are better general music directors in the total aspect of it because it is a it is a profession you can't learn in a school or a conservatoire. you have to learn it by experience, and I hated it, and therefore um I think. Um, my reaction after my Dortmund, which is 20 years working in Germany in 2013, was for the next few years I'm not going to take up any any principal position. I want to be a guest conductor mm. related to orchestras, like you have the beautiful principal guest title, um, like I have now in Prague and Northern Ireland, a bigger difference in culture is not possible. But then you don't have the responsibility for the money. You don't have the responsibility for the well-being of your musicians because you come in sort of as a guest. You know them because you come regularly, but you have no responsibility uh, other than making the best of the concert. I want to pick
0: up on something you've just said. As you said, your principal guest conductor in Prague and also in Belfast with the Ulster Orchestra, you said that there is no bigger difference in culture that you can think of. Can you let us into um, your knowledge of how different orchestras in different parts of Europe work? So let's say between Prague and between Belfast, what would you think the biggest differences are musically when you stand in front of them? How they work, how they rehearse, how they
1: react to you? Yeah, that's a very interesting question that is uh, part of my life as uh, when I got the position in Germany, parallel to that, or a bit earlier even, I started working in the UK. The German tradition of playing uh, in an orchestra and the British tradition is completely different. And I try to combine the best elements of the one culture, um, bring uh, those elements to the other side of the ocean in this this case. And in short, if I try to explain, first of all, uh, the time pressure of the uh, work in the British countries Uh, doesn't exist in the Central European countries. If I compare, for example, to make it simple, uh, uh, preparing a concert in Prague, I start on a Friday morning, reading the scores that you have to do the next week, then there is a free weekend. On Monday morning, you continue, and on Wednesday and Thursday are the concerts. In that time slot of a Friday morning till Friday morning, a week later, a British orchestra will have done a children's concert, a, f- a pop's concert, um, a classic concert with Mozart and Haydn and your concert. So the, the time you have to rehearse a Central European orchestra is enormously uh, uh, abundant. Okay, you have to work them very hard and you have to work all the rehearsals you work, but in Belfast I can do a program, uh, uh, I can do two programs in the time of one program in Prague. That is one difference. Orchestras in the UK are very quick, very fast. Now... The advantage of being so uh, long with one orchestra means you can form them in your own soundscape or the soundscape they bring, and you want to work on that. You can go in details, you can spend half an hour on a few bars. That doesn't matter because you have time. And the utmost, utmost uh, uh, situation where you have a lot of rehearsals is Celi Celi Bidac, the Romanian conductor in Munich. If he did a Bruckner symphony and you know, you and I get a rehearsal time of six rehearsals and a dress rehearsal of five with that orchestra and a dress rehearsal, he would ask 18 rehearsals and he would work them till every detail. And you can hear it. Mm. If you go to Belfast for the Bruckner symphony, you start on a Monday and on Wednesday is the concert. And it doesn't mean it is not as good as Prague or Munich or Weimar but it is a different attitude of where you start rehearsing them. That is a big difference. So as a conductor, especially if you are a bit younger, um, in the British situation, you get not so much time to get accustomed to the timings, to the music. You have to be prepared utterly well because you can't grow as an orchestra grows from Monday morning till Wednesday evening. In the German situation... I mean, I had rehearsals on a Monday morning, then do something else on a Monday evening. Had a rehearsal on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday morning, a Thursday morning, a Friday, a dress rehearsal, and then a Saturday, the concert. And that's not because the orchestra do not want to work, but that is the timing of let it sink in and let, it, let us work out. We're all having our salaries. We are all having our fixed positions. That is an enormous difference in, in music making. You mentioned earlier that one of your first positions was assistant
0: conductor with the National Youth Orchestra of Holland. I know because I've worked with you, what is it now, two or three times um, with the CBSO Youth Orchestra that you still enjoy and still uh, like to work with youth orchestras. I know some conductors do not work with youth orchestras. What do you get from working with youth orchestras um, and why do you love it so?
1: Yeah, there is a reason why I conduct youth orchestras. Even more stressed is that um, I ask uh, my manager, Marianne, to book me once a year a youth orchestra, an orchestra in a college, or uh, uh, Cheatham, uh, the Very Very Young, or the Wells Cathedral School, um I ask her if it is possible to conduct one week a year and sometimes it's even two, one of the reasons is that uh, of course you can pass on your your knowledge and your tradition and your experiences. Um, the other thing is that it keeps me completely fit. You have three rehearsals a day, which is hardly possible in the professional life for for obvious reasons. I mean you 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 can't with, Professional orchestras on that level work three times a day um, uh, on one program. Uh, you know, it, has, it needs time to sink in. But with youth orchestras, you need to work three sessions a day. And that for six or seven days. The other reason is, is also a bit of a selfish reason. You have to know every, every moment of the music how you want it. So it forms yourself as a conductor enormously if you have to explain it to others who have no clue how a a Brahms symphony works. Well, they can play, they can play, you know, they can play their fiddle and their clarinet and their flute or whatever. But um, to make it really sound like Brahms or Bruckner, that's a different thing. And so it is part of uh, going into yourself and reflecting on why do certain things that if you stand in front of Philharmonia goes easy and they just do it because they've done it with Klemperer and they've done it with Andries Nelsons and with Essa but with youngsters you have to bring in every aspect of orchestral playing, of teaching them how to play together of teaching them why they have to play together and then the interpretation of the music, and that's a very, very healthy, almost cleansing aspect for a conductor, I think. I tended to bring uh, new music for myself to the youth orchestra. So if if I would have done uh, Tchaikovsky 4, 5, 6 a lot, I would say, okay, now you want to do Tchaikovsky? Fine, let's do number two, because I've hardly ever done it. Um, nowadays, I bring scores that I've done... Um, more than 10 times to them not that I'm lazy but that I can give them everything I know about that score and I can teach them every corner they have to to take to make the the music work and that is a fantastic uh, experience.
0: It's very interesting that you say about passing on the knowledge but also that you There's an element, as you said, selfish element of the fact that you you really do get to learn the scores or relearn the scores if you're taking music that you've already done in the past. People ask me, what do I get out of preparing the CBSO Youth Orchestra for a guest conductor such as yourself? And my answer to them is always, I'm learning repertoire or I'm relearning repertoire, and I'm having to teach it to the CBSO Youth Orchestra in such a detailed way that I could stand in front of any orchestra in the world having spent six days preparing them for the likes of yourself or a gardener or Andrus Nelson's. And I would know every single corner of that score.
1: Yeah. I I think that's a, um, an enormous uh, privilege for us. Um, and I, I respect colleagues who said, Oh, it is, it's not my cup of tea to, uh, to work with youngsters, but you get so much energy back and so much love and so much um, attention and uh, and and the the CBSO Youth Orchestra is is one of the the best.
0: You are one of the very few conductors who has a very active teaching career, and often when you go abroad to work, for instance, here in the UK, you will take one of your students with you as an assistant conductor. Can you tell us a bit about your teaching, um, how you teach, what your ethos is in teaching you, or your style, and also why you enjoy it so
1: much? Yeah, the teaching thing is, if you compare it to the youth orchestra topic, I get in interviews, uh, Often asked the question, why do you teach? And um, well, it's it's people think I'm very altruistic, which I try to be. I tr- I try to pass on my knowledge about scores, but it is also a, a self-correcting element. If I teach a young conductor to do something in a famous score, I often have to think before I start teaching them how how do I do that myself? Then I see them do it. And I think, hey, wait, why doesn't this work? So it's, again, uh, a self-correcting element of of learning a lot by teaching the youngsters. They do something and they stick out their sort of two fingers of the left hand constantly. (laughs) And then I say, listen, every musician in the orchestra will get annoyed because you you have your thumb up all the time and you're not aware of it. And then I think, hey... I tell this, but what do I do with my hands myself? So that's one aspect of the teaching. The other aspect is a very uh, pragmatic one. When I stopped uh, my studies in in the Conservatoire in Holland, I finished my studies and got my my diploma, Um, my teacher retired at the same day, and he did a speech to the audience. He had a concert, a farewell concert, and he said... I have a little present for you. And everybody thought, okay, we will get uh, sort of his latest CD or uh, whatever. Uh, And then I was sitting on row two, I think, or row one. And then he said, yes, I have a little present for you, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody, ha, ha, ha. And then he pointed his, his arm and he said, he's sitting over there. And he pointed to me and he said, I want him to be my successor in this fantastic school. <laughs> so <laughs> I got uh, I got a teaching job. I was offered uh, the teaching job in the conservatoire when I was sort of 27 28 and I first refused because I thought This is not for me. The people I've learned most from are experienced conductors over 60, blah, 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 and not uh, youngsters. And I have to teach uh, my my colleagues' students? No, that doesn't work. The then director of the school um, said, well, if you don't take up that position, I lose the possibility of having a professor for teaching orchestral conducting. And that was not a threat. I could have said no, but but I said okay. In that case, I'll give it a try. And from that moment on, I stepped in a teaching job um, against my will, but was happy to oblige because after a year, I uh, I understood that I still was a step ahead of every student that came in, and that's how it started. And it never stopped because um, I think um, it, it's important for conductors to know what they are doing. It's such a complex métier. It is so hard. It's so widespread. It's about history, about psychology, about your body language, about technique, about music, about perfect pitch, about whatever. And that's all not important once you do a concert because the audience and the orchestra have to be thrilled by your uh, interpretation. And all those aspects of teaching are then mediocre and they don't count. But at the same time, you have to learn them. When you go
0: abroad, as I said, you take an assistant conductor with you, what do you hope that they will get from a trip abroad with you that they don't get uh, in their classes normally in Holland with you?
1: Yeah, the classes are with piano which is a, a sort of an emergency exit because sometimes I teach in the completely silence and then they conduct and with the piano at least they have a reaction of two pianists in front of them and they have to control them. Um, the benefit of bringing a student to a live situation with an orchestra is, for example, if I compare the Prague Orchestra and the Belser Orchestra, uh, the Prague Orchestra is absolutely not uh, prepared to give them 10 or 15 minutes in front of that orchestra. They think, no, you are there and you should be responsible for the rehearsals and the repertoire, mostly Mahler, is too difficult for a young blah. The Belfast Orchestra, the Ulster Orchestra, say, well, we would love to have him conduct 10-15 minutes because then we get to know a new talent, we can discuss it in our team, perhaps we can invite him. for." So that's a different approach uh, for my students. Now, the moment I have a student with me in Prague, he or she learns from that tradition, how they play a legato, how they, all the things I prepared on the, on uh, in class on the piano. In Belfast, I can say, I have a Wagner overture, um, here's Tannhäuser, uh, you go for it, you do that rehearsal for me. And from that experience of having 10-15 minutes with the orchestra, I can work, uh, when I come back in class uh, a month later, I can work hours and hours on that one element of him or her conducting in front of a professional orchestra. I'm so grateful for both sides. The one orchestra that allows them to sit in and just sit in and assist and talk about it, and the other orchestra that gives them 10-15 minutes per two hours rehearsal um, to experience what it is to play with a good professional orchestra.
0: They're very, very lucky students. Personally, I was lucky that my very first experiences were in front of my own colleagues, so they were a little bit more relaxed about uh, you know, a member of the CBSO conducting members of the CBSO. The flip side of that was, and still is, that they're probably the most frightening people I ever have to conduct because they remember me as a 21-year-old violinist with all of his foibles and... Um, yeah, mistakes, yeah. but at least you know I had a chance to sort of make big errors, uh, and and then they would talk to me about it afterwards and correct them, which is similar to what your students have, and they're they're so lucky, your students, to have that um, opportunity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. True. True. What are the most funny things? One of the things is that with the Hallé Orchestra, a telephone went off in early 90s uh, during Brahms Four, and what happened was I, I had to stop. And I turned around and um, uh, said something to the audience. And the next day, it was in all the tabloids on page two or three, whatever. One side of the paper was uh, the famous uh, page three. And the other side was Brahms interrupted by a telephone. (laughs) But I think if if it comes...
0: So, Jack, um, every participant is going to be asked the same 10 questions Um, and so I'd like to start with question one. What sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate?
1: Ooh, if I have to pick out one thing uh, to start with the noise I do hate is uh, making me completely, also making me a bit angry, is, um, we call it in Holland, muzak. Another thing is for what I love, and uh, we, we, we live in a very, very remote area. It's not so easy to find a silent spot in Holland, but the sound of silence is magic to me. Silence is the best music I can, I can think of. Wonderful. If you had twenty four hours free,
0: what do you like to spend it doing?
1: Um, that depends on where I am, because, as you know, um, half of the time we are traveling around. Um, so if I'm at home, um, I, I I would uh, step on my Icelandic horse and go for a ride. And that is more than just, uh, you know, you have to prepare that. You have to prepare the horse. You have to warm up. You have to change. You have to have a drink afterwards. All that ritual that you do when you ride. I'm I'm a fanatic Icelandic horse lover. That's what I do when I'm at home. But obviously I can't do that much because every week you are somewhere else. And um, if I have a free moment, I can enormously enjoy just having a strong espresso and bring my book. I I'm very lucky to love reading and I just sit there for an hour and in between reading I watch people uh, at a station or at an airport or in 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 this busy street in London. I I love watching people and making up stories how would they think, how would they do, what would they like, etc. That is my hobby.
0: <laughs> what a super answer.
1: Who would be your favorite conductor of yesteryear? Ooh, I, would, I would say plural, as I have a lot of conductors that I respect from, from yesteryear. A beautiful word. I, 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 I hear it for the first time, I must say. But I presume you mean from the past. Yes, from the past. As we are now in the time of uh, being able to experience uh, from the 50s, the 60s and the 70s the conductors via YouTube or another channel. Um, I'm very keen. I never watched and never listened to music while studying or whilst conducting uh, because you have to conduct so much music yourself. But having said that, I think... Uh, a master in interpretation and orchestral control um, and fantasy and love for music and fanatism to make it really special is Carlos Kleiber. The second on my list, and that's not to be chauvinist, but I'm, I'm for much of the Mahler and the Bruckner repertoire an enormous fan of Bernard Heiting. Mm-hmm. And if I go back a bit more in time, I think the uh, biggest conductor in, in the US that I know the recordings of is Georg Schell, a conductor that I appreciate enormously for a certain repertoire, an unforgettable Schubert unfinished it Benjamin Britten. Oh, wow, wow. And I can I can name another 10, because <laughs> I, respect, I respect a lot, which I won't do now, don't worry. But it is sort of a res- respect. Uh, but it is hardly ever disconnected from repertoire. Chelibidake Bidake is Bruckner. Essa mm. pekka Salon is Messiaen, is Stravinsky. Um, you know, there are conductors that I, I... Also younger conductors think, wow, you did a fantastic Rosenkavalier. Uh, coming from a german tradition and and so the list can be endless but it is a lot has a lot to do connecting to the repertoire they conduct
0: well that leads on to the next question Uh, who would be uh, a favorite current conductor
1: um favorite current conductor again is a thing that is uh, liaised to the repertoire. I'm an enormous fan for uh, a a certain repertoire for Andries Nelsons. I think he is such a genuine, gentle artist. And I heard him about a year ago with uh, the Vienna Philharmonic. Um, And he did Bruckner 6, if I'm not mistaken. I can't. I heard so many music. It was amazing. It was thrilling. With with your ex-orchestra, CBSO, doing Tchaikovsky 5 on a tour. I, I was then music director in Dortmund. Unforgettable. Another conductor that I appreciate enormously because he works so hard with an orchestra to get his own sound right and interpretation-wise so detailed is Ivan Fischer. Mm, yeah. That's another one I would, I would go for. That, that are my two heroes uh, that I come to think of now very spontaneously.
0: What is the hardest work that you have ever conducted? It can be for any reason.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sometimes, uh, if something happens, like uh, it's it's my mother died too early. She was fifty three, fifty four ish, and the day she died, on a Friday afternoon, I had to conduct in the evening uh, Strauss four last songs, and I was very young. Um, it was um, with the national youth orchestra. And that was for fifteen years very hard to conduct for me, and that's mm. that's a different way of being hard to conduct than another aspect. So I sorry to to finish that story first. Uh, I, I took Strauss four last songs uh, in my repertoire after fifteen years. I I couldn't simply do it out of respect and out of sort of um, memory, but uh, in technical terms, not e- emotionally. I think. The most difficult one is uh, Harry Bird Whistle's Earth Dances, mm. which I could experience with the BBC Symphony, uh, an orchestra that probably can do it standing on the head as they did it with Joet and all the conductors who are specialists in that repertoire. Um, I think in terms of technique and, and uh, difficulty of, of conducting and getting the thing together is Earth Dances. Well, Earth Dances, I have to tell you, was
0: probably up there in my top three hardest pieces I ever played when I when we did it in the CBSO. Um, incredibly difficult to play. When travelling abroad to conduct, what item or items could you not leave home without?
1: I think I would never travel without uh, a novel and. I would never travel without at least three pairs of shoes, mainly the same shoes. So I have shoes that I love so much. The Dutch designer made them and um, I feel so comfortable in them that I have shoes for a rehearsal and, um, and I don't use them to walk outside in the rain. And I can't explain it, but I have always at least three pairs of shoes, not concert shoes, normal shoes in my suitcase a conductor has to look after their feet. If,
0: you're, if you don't look after your feet, standing up and conducting is absolute agony.
1: What is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? I would go back to the situation that a chief conductor of an orchestra could stay at least per contract 20 weeks with that orchestra and that that is accepted uh, by the orchestra members, by the board, by the audience. Um, That would be my ideal. If I could change anything, I would get rid of flying in and out and not because of the flying, but just the... uh, the one week and then you don't see your chief conductor in the town for six, seven weeks or even longer. And then you do the next thing and you are lucky to have a chief conductor who is more than three weeks in, in the season. That is a thing I would like to change to get an identity with uh, an orchestra attached to a conductor and vice versa. That would be my biggest wish. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I'm very fascinated by the medicine part of our society. So I would love, which I can't, I'm too too clumsy for that, but I would love to be a surgeon. If the world
0: were to end tonight, what would be your choice of
1: final meal and accompanying drink? If the world would end tonight... I would now step in a plane. I would fly to the north of Norway to Budde, that is with Trumse, the uh, highest uh, place you can fly to. And I would go to the fish restaurant in the harbor of Budde, and I would order a fish platter with a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, and then my life could end. (laughs) that's absolutely brilliant answer. Thank you, Jack, very, very
0: much. (laughs) Well, I have to say, Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and we wish you all the very best, and I hope to see you
1: personally very, very soon. Thank you, Mike, and thank you for such a nice conversation, and all the best, and see you soon.
0: A Mic on the Podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I talk to an English conductor who has held positions in Manchester, Birmingham and London and will soon be dividing his time between Bergen and the London Philharmonic, where he starts as Principal Conductor in 2021. Until then, bye-bye!